Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts this evening, chapters three and four. We are still in the first division of the book of Acts, which shows um, the Lord at work uh, by the Holy Spirit through the apostles in Jerusalem. Uh, We have seen the birthday of the church on the day of Pentecost, a day which could never really be repeated. Um, There was a church because the Holy Spirit had become incarnate inside the believer. He was indwelling the believers and he filled them with his love, power, his blessing for the purpose of doing the work of ministry and service. Um, In this third chapter, we will find the healing of the lame man. We'll find out how old he actually was in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 3. And then Peter, in verses 12 through 26, as he preaches his uh, second message, and as a result, we're going to find 5,000 people uh, getting saved. And because it points out a couple of places, I'm going to take you to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem because it refers to um, the Gate Beautiful. I'm going to take you there. And I'm also going to show you um, a place called Solomon's Porch, also on top of the Temple Mount. And with that being said, let's, I just want to read the first two verses and um, uh, show you what the Gate Beautiful, where it is, and what it looks like. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So we're looking, um, and they find a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. I'll tell you this now, even though we'll read it a little bit later. He's 40 years old, but we're going to read that a little bit later. So, and he would basically beg and um, for alms for those who entered the temple. What I'm going to show you is a place that is um, what I call an A spot. They are the original steps that existed that Jesus would have walked on into the temple. This would be at the southern end of the Temple Mount. And um, I'm gonna put on screen right now what's called um, the Gate Beautiful. And there, right there, are the stairs. I'm going to study this thing from going up. These are original, right here. Right now, they have something built up that goes right up to there and cuts that one almost in half. And we always go and we have a Bible study right there, right where we're sitting. And we're actually sitting on the original stones that Jesus and this um, beggar, these are stones that he sat on. And um, who knows how long. Um, Obviously, he wasn't there when he was three years old. (laughs) But 
at least 25 years. So for 25 years, people would carry this lame man and they would put him, and these here are the gates, these gates here and these gates here. I'm going to show you another picture of it um, that we would see it today. So let's put up the next one. This is what it looks like today. Can you see how these are shaped like this? Okay, well, there's two. There's a set of two of them. Two on, and where we would have our Bible study would be right there. And um, I got a picture of Judy and I standing there the last time we were there with David Hawking. And um, um, we go there because this, this is the real deal, uh, original to the time of the Lord. And I'm going to leave that up because I'm going to go, the next place we're going to go to a place called um, Solomon's Porch. But I'm not going to put that up right now. But um, let's go back to verse 1. And uh, sort of taking you there. Um, so here's this man. I can't imagine ever walking. He never walked. He was, this is from the womb. So we know that for all these years, his daily routine was somebody picking him up, taking him to um, these stairs, and he had his hands out, and he begged for alms. Um, Verses three through six. So who seeing now Peter and John are about to go up into the temple, so these are the stairs that they would have walked on also, and he was asking alms from Peter and John. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, one thing about Peter, notice that Peter is usually always the spokesman, <laughs> almost without exception. Same as, same here. And he told the lame man, look at us. So he gave them his attention, thinking that he was going to receive something from them. Well, we learn something about the disciples in verse six. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And um, how the disciples maintained, they were told when they were sent out, um, to go to the house and have that place um, see to their needs as far as food. Um, When it came time to pay taxes um, and the Lord said, show me a coin and whose image is on it? And they said, Caesar's. And my point here is, I don't think the Lord had any money either. I think he had to ask for it. Who's got a coin? Whose image is on it? Caesar. Well then, well, if, if uh, you render to Caesar what's Caesar, render to God what, what is God. My point is, it looks like, um, um, as we're gonna read in chapter four, they gave away everything. And that's how we're gonna conclude our Bible study tonight. The early church, these 5,000 that, that got saved, they gave everything, everything away. And so 
Peter and John didn't have money, but they did have the Holy Spirit. And in verses seven through 11, he, I imagine that's Peter, took him by his right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bone received strength. Immediately is the recurring word in the book of Mark. Everything is immediate. It is the one word that's repetitious in the book of Mark. Well, we find it here. This um, is interesting to me because the Lord is going to heal at least two blind men. One is healed instantly, and the other one he spits on the ground, makes some mud, sticks it in his eyes, and he tells to go down to the pool of Siloam and wash him. And um, so sometimes it's instantaneous, uh, sometimes there's a period of time. Um, can you see yet? Well, I kind of can see, but they look like trees walking. And he said, how about now? He says, now I can see all men clearly. And my point is, when it comes to healing, we can never put the Lord in a box. Um, he can heal you instantaneously, no problem. Or it may be over a period of time. Or in Job's case, he may allow it to persist. And we don't have um, real reasons for why God does what he does. Good place for an amen. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. We just trust him. And so here, immediately, so this was an instantaneous healing, um, and his feet and ankle bones received strength. Um, I bet you Tiger Woods wish uh, he was born again. <laughs> and uh, because this is exactly, of course you heard on the news, he got this accident and all of his leg from the knee on down is completely shattered. And um, they don't know whether he'll walk again. My prayer is hopefully it'll get his attention and he'll be thinking about other things besides golf. So, and he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with him walking and leaping and praising God. This is mind-boggling because no strength in those legs, nothing for 40 years. All he can do is just sit there. The Lord had to create bone muscle. Um, um, All the ligaments instantaneously and the strength not just to get up, he leaped up. And he went into the temple, so we've been walking up those stairs right there through those gates, praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. They knew it was he who sat begging arms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement of what had happened to him. We know this guy. We see him every day. We walk by him every day. No doubt about it, it's him. But he's walking. So they're, they're going, what's up with this? They're wondering, they're, they're in awe. 
an amazement of what possibly could have happened to him. Now, as the layman who was healed held on to Peter and John, uh, I, I imagine at this point he doesn't catch the part in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up. All he sees is Peter and John. And so he, at this point, I think he's associating what just happened to something that Peter had, or John had. And he doesn't understand uh, maybe who Jesus is at this time. Verse 11, now the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John and all the people ran together to them in the porch. So now they're inside the temple, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So I'm going to take you to the Temple Mount again. And, okay, this is a Temple Mount, and where we were is on this side right here. And that's going into, this would be the south side of where the steps are. And that's where he would have been sitting. When you enter in, you go past this place right here, which are where storage areas, um, um, so on and so forth. Solomon's porch would be right in this area right here. So remember I said there were two sets of gates, a set here and a set here. More than likely, they came into this one which would have been on the east side of the Temple Mount. This is a temple wall. There's a temple itself right here. And this whole area section in this corner would have been called Solomon's Porch. It's called that to this day. They call it uh, Solomon's Stables. Well, of course, this temple would have been built uh, by Herod. And um, so obviously, it wasn't Solomon's Horse Stables during this period of time right here. But they, they called it that because this is the Temple Mount and the original temple that was Solomon's would have been there at one time. So in these first 11 verses, we have um, uh, the healing of this lame man, and everybody's amazed, and they're, uh, this guy's latched on to Peter and John, thinking that they had something to, to do with it. So Peter has to set the record straight So in verses 12, we'll read this. Peter's got to make it perfectly clear. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as that by, through our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk? Basically, he'd say, we don't have anything to do with it. Um, We don't have any powers. We don't have, we're not, um, we're sinners saved by grace. It talks about them being ordinary men. Matter of fact, we're going to make a big point of that in chapter 4 because uh, we're going to read that they were uneducated and untrained when they examined Peter and John. So they're average Joes. They're ordinary people that God had chosen. 
So in verse 12, uh, Peter is making it perfectly clear that we didn't do it. Um, And then he begins from 12 to 16 to present and preach the gospel and letting them know that they're actually responsible for the death of Christ. Verse 13, we'll read through 16. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Pilate examined Jesus four times. And four times he comes out to the people and says, I can't find any fault in this man. And he, he wants to get the Lord off the hook. Much less, Pilate's wife comes down and says, don't have nothing to do with this righteous man. I had a dream last night. And so Pilate's in a pickle. He says, well, we have this custom this time of year um, that we'll release a prisoner. How about if I release unto you Jesus? Or should I release unto you Barabbas? And um, it was the religious leaders that incited the crowd saying, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Well, what should I do with this guy here? Crucify him. Why? What, What has he done? And the answer is, the only thing that Jesus ever did was good. Good place for an amen there. It talks about Jesus going around doing good, finding favor with the people. Wherever he went, people liked him. Always finding favor because he was always doing good. No accounts of ever doing wrong except rebuking the self-righteous, hypocritical scribes and Pharisees who we'll be getting to in a bit. But you, verse 14, denied the Holy One. Give us Barabbas and the just and ask for a murderer, that would have been Barabbas, to be granted to you. And you killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. Now he's making it clear. God sent his son, and uh, he was crucified. And he raised him from the dead, proving that he was God. And it's because of him, verse 16, it's in his name, through faith in his name, that has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Everybody knew who this guy was. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So first of all, he explains it's not us, but it's the one that you rejected. If you're taking notes, the Gospel of John, chapter one, verse 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. They did not accept him. And they were blinded. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And there's a reason that God allows this to happen 
for the furtherance of the gospel to the Gentiles, which we talked a little bit about on Sunday. So it's your fault, but then in verse 17, he sort of lets him off the hook. He says, yet now, brethren, I know that you did this in ignorance, as did also your rulers. You really didn't have any idea what you were doing. And that's why the Lord on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. And uh, so they were blinded to it. We read this in Romans, that God has blinded them, hardened their heart, but only for a period of time. And um, primarily, the majority of Israelis today are secular. Um, You have that on one side. Then you have the ultra-Orthodox. They can be very self-righteous and hypocritical. You want to hear one of my uh, Orthodox um, rabbi stories? Somebody say yes, because I'm going to tell that anyway. This is one of my trips there. And when you go to the Wailing Wall, um, by the way, did you know they're injecting the Wailing Wall with the, with the uh, vaccine? Anybody else see that? The stones, literally. I'm serious. I saw it. And, um, but to the very, if you're facing the Wailing Wall, to the left, uh, there's a corridor. And there's a library in there. And um, a lot of the Orthodox will go in there. Uh, they have their prayer books. And um, Paul Clark and I were there one time. And uh, they were doing one of their happy dances. And when I say happy dances, they really get into it. And um, Paul decided he was going to join the join the dance so he took one of the guy's hands on this one and the other one I thought well why not go for it so we're in there just doing this happy dance because of uh, the goodness of God and that, that was a different time this time I was in there by myself and um, I get a tap on the shoulders I'm just watching, watching um, them do their prayer life and so on and so forth and um, I get a tap on the shoulder, it's an orthodox um, Jewish person. And he says, um, you know, I would really like to pray for you. Would it be okay if I prayed for you? And I said, well, sure. And he says, well, just come over here so we can have a little private place. And, and uh, he said, what's your name? And I told him. And he says, where are you from? And I told him. And uh, he says, okay, let me pray for you. He laid his hands on me and he said this beautiful prayer. And, and when it was over, I said, well, geez, thank you very much. And I turned around and began to walk away. Um, and then he said, oh, by the way, um, we have this special charity. <laughs> so this whole thing was nothing more than getting me, an American aside, rich American tourists (laughs) Uh, because his motive was not to pray for me. His motive was he wanted to get some money out of me. Now this has happened to me more than once. I'm not putting 
all of them in that same category, but there are those there that have that hypocrisy. Um, That's why Jesus made the whip and he cleared out the money changers because they were charging uh, temple tax, usury, making money on the side. And that's why they hated Jesus. One of the main reasons they hated Jesus because he put those guys out of business. All right, let's get back to it. So they did it in ignorance, and so did your rulers. Verse 18, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. I'm not gonna stop making a point of this every time I see a prophecy referred to from the Old Testament and show how it's connected. We're only in chapter three and already we have not been in one chapter that has not had Old Testament scriptures mentioned. I don't know how many we have here, at least three that I can think of off the top of my head. But here, he has thus fulfilled. Meaning what? Well, it was foretold, if, if it was fulfilled. Now in verse 19, he preaches and he says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. It doesn't get any more straightforward than that. But remember last week, we went to go back to Acts chapter one, verse eight. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. So what is happening here as Peter in chapter three is um, same thing as last week. What must we do to be saved? They were, remember it says they were convicted in the heart. Um, Everybody knows they're a sinner, but not everybody will admit it. Uh, God holds the whole human race accountable that he exists. Romans one tells us that because of creation, man is without excuse. But they suppress that knowledge that God exists because of their unrighteousness. But they're still guilty. So when anybody tells me they're agnostic or an atheist, I say, no, you're not. (laughs) What do you mean you can't? What do you mean, no, they're not? You can't say, no, I'm not. I just told you I was. And I says, well, the, the Bible says otherwise. I say, you see that beautiful bird right there? You think that just happened? Did you see the sunset last night? You think that just happened? Every creature that you can possibly think of, he's created. And the, the animal kingdom, like God of wonders. You're without excuse. Because Why? because of creation. Common sense tells me the fact that what it takes for me to see you and you to see me is so complex and complicated that it's beyond any shadow of any doubt that there is a creator. So Romans one says you are without excuse. You can say, you can suppress that truth and say, oh I don't believe that, I'm an atheist. Well you can say that, but deep down inside you're suppressing what you know to be true. So why don't you come to God and repent if you know that it's true? John 3 tells us that men love darkness rather than the light. 
They don't want to give up their sinful lifestyle. They like it. So if I acknowledge that he is and repent and come to him, then old things have to pass away and all things have to become new in his time. But there's no such thing as an atheist. And there's no such thing as an agnostic. When somebody tells me they're an agnostic, I said, do you have any idea what you just said? You know where the word comes from? Ignoramus. <laughs> that's, where the, that's where the word comes from. So aren't you glad you're an agnostic, you ignoramus? <laughs> All right, back to verse 19, repent. And remember now, it's the Holy Spirit speaking, the same Holy Spirit that healed the lame man. And be converted, that means changed, means do a 360. That your sins may be blotted out so that the time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. This time of refreshing I'm gonna dwell on um, a little bit here, but let's take a couple more verses. That he may send Jesus Christ, whom was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of the restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. Well, here, we have, here we're going back to the Old Testament again. But look at, this is what I've underlined, the restoration of all things. What does that mean? Well, turn with me to uh, the book of Romans chapter eight, picking it up in verse 18. The restoration of all things. By the time we get through the, um, we're gonna be in Psalm two tonight talking about the battle of Armageddon and the world is pretty much plummeted, destroyed, and now he's referring to the restoration of all things. And it's a picture of the millennial reign when the curse will be removed. So let's pick it up with verse 18. Here's a great verse for what's going on right now. For I consider that the suffering of this present times are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. Now this is a reference to you and I reigning with Jesus Christ during the millennial kingdom. Our home will be the new Jerusalem that we just studied a couple weeks ago. Um, Our transportation mode I think will be instantaneous. But it's talking about we're gonna rule and reign with him upon the earth. Doesn't mean we live on earth, that's not our our place. I go to prepare a place for you. That's the new Jerusalem. But evidently, in this restoration of all things, that's a reference to the 1,000 year millennial kingdom. And it says that even creation is waiting for this to happen. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption 
and to the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birthdays together until now. The planet we're living on right now. Um, Earthquakes, um, just what happened in Texas, crazy weather. Um, It's not the way it's going to be during the millennial reign. So taking us back to Acts chapter three, and it says the restoration of all things is what he's referring to as what it was like in the Garden of Eden. And uh, so it goes on to say, and not only they, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, now we're talking about born-again Christians, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption the redemption of our body. And talking with um, Martha and Ken, these two families, um, talked to Tracy a little bit. Um, she's, she's got health issues too. And I say, you know, you know what, guys? The one thing we all have in common here is we all really want a new body real bad. <laughs> anyway, give me an amen on that one. And... For the redemption, this tells me it's okay um, to groan. We ourselves groan. And I look around the world and I groan. I look at uh, my body getting older and I groan. <laughs> so we'll, we'll take that up to verse 23 here. I wanted to bring you here because when you go back to chapter three of Acts three, verse 21 says, whom heaven must receive until the time of the restoration of all things. So the Lord's gonna make uh, planet Earth, he's gonna restore it to the way it was since the world began, all right? 22 through 26 is the uh, rest of chapter three. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you will hear in all things, whatever he says to you. Now, this is a prophecy. It comes from Deuteronomy 18. And again, I'm gonna point out prophecy every time I see one. Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled. Who did he raise up that people looked up to like they looked up to Moses? Well, it's a reference to Jesus. And it shall come to pass that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. These are people who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and all those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. Now we're talking about all the prophets talking about this time right now in Acts chapter three. Many prophecies. You are the sons of the prophets and are the covenant which God made with our father saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. To you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, 
sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So that's what we call it being born again. And um, we also are gonna read here tonight that it's the only way. There is only one way. And that, what I just said, and I say this all the time, is one of the most politically incorrect things you can say today. Because you just become a narrow-minded, bigoted Christian and don't you realize all things are relative and what's true for you may not be true for me and what's true for me may not be true for you. Well, that's not the way it works. When a person is born again, he's born again. And you become a new person. You don't get it all right away. You don't have it all figured out all the way. That's why it says in First um, Peter chapter 2, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow. So what's that talking about? A baby Christian. What do you give babies? Milk. Why? Because that's all they could digest. So if you're 25 years old in the Lord and been walking with him all these years, Hebrews chapter six says, leaving the elementary principles of the doctrine of Christ, Elementary principles, what are they? Your ABCs. The Hebrews were just talking about things that they did when they first got saved, and they weren't maturing. And he wanted to take them from the milk to the meat. And that is not an instantaneous process. And, um, and it really depends. You can make um, so many Christians today that are still very immature, very young, for one reason and one reason only. They don't read their Bible. When I, when I was um, visiting uh, Mary Ann, I was talking to her husband. I said, so how is she doing? Well, she gets up every day and reads her Bible for two hours and she's got a prayer list of so long. <laughs> I says, well, that answers my question. Felt a little uh, convicted. <laughs> And um, uh, so, you know, she's in her 80s and walked with Jesus all these years and she's got the meat down. And um, she knows where the power lies and she knows that there's power in prayer. So that's chapter three. And as we begin to look at chapter four, This chapter shows the results of Peter's second sermon. 5,000 people get saved. Then the apostles were arrested and put into prison. This was at the, uh, well, the insistent really of, of the Sadducees. And the reason for it was the preaching of the resurrection of the Jesus Christ. The Sadducees, Um, There were two groups, the Pharisees, Paul was a Pharisee before he got saved, and then there were the Sadducees. The main difference between the two is the Pharisees believed in angels in the resurrection, but the Sadducees didn't believe in either one of them. Uh, They didn't believe in angels, and they didn't believe in the resurrection. 
So now you have Peter and John coming along talking about God raising him from the dead. Well, Sadducees um, and these, this group of people that we're gonna get into, maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself, um, were the people, that's why they were grieved that they taught the people about the resurrection. They did not believe in the resurrection. Let's read the first four verses. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, that the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That's something they simply did not hold to. And you know the joke, the reason the Sadducees um, um, were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Who's hearing that for the first time? Oh, good. (laughs) I'm glad I told it. It's a pretty good one, don't you think? That's why they're sad, you see? Okay. And they laid hands on them and uh, put them in custody until the next day for it was already getting late. What are we going to do with these guys? So they threw them in jail for the night until the next morning. However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. You can't have a guy that you look at every day for 25 years. You have absolutely no doubt in your mind whatsoever that he's, he's not faking it for 25, 30 years. And now he's walking around leaping and jumping and praising God. You can't dismiss that. And... Um, it goes on to say, it came to pass on the next day that the rulers and elders and scribes as well as Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many who are of the family of the high priests were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in their midst, so now you have all the re- religious leadership, and they got... Peter and John right in the middle of them and they say by what power or by what name have you done this so we have um, beginning with verses 5 through 7 here Peter and John being questioned by the religious leaders how did you guys pull this off by what power did you do it whose name did you do it in and verses 8 through 12 Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, I want to put the emphasis on filled, with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to this helpless man, by what means he has, uh, let me read that again, by what means he has been made well. In other words, I'd put it in this term. Are you really asking me that a guy who hasn't walked his entire life and now he's healed, you're upset about this? And you want to know? And you want to challenge us? You want to put us in jail? And let it be known to you, okay, if you want to know, I'll tell you. If you want to know to you all, and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, 
whom God raised from the dead, Sadducees are going through the roof, by him this man stands here before you whole. If you want to know what it's all about, it's about Jesus Christ, who you killed, but God raised him up again from the dead. This is the stone, all right? I'm going to stop and say it again. Here is an Old Testament prophecy. This is a stone which was rejected by you builders and has become the chief cornerstone. This is Psalm 118, and Jesus gives a whole parable concerning uh, these Pharisees in Luke chapter, I think it's 21. Let me just check real quick. You can turn there if you want to with me. Um, Oh, here it is, yeah, Luke 20. It's the parable of the vineyard owners. And the vineyard owners is all about these Old Testament, no, let's read it, we got some time. Pick it up in verse nine. A certain man planted a vineyard and leased it to his vine dressers and went into a far country for a long time. Now at the vintage time, he sent a servant to the vineyard vine dressers that he might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the uh, vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty handed. Uh, Let's say this was Jeremiah and he was one of these prophets. And so he sent another servant, another prophet and they beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty handed. And again he sent a third and wounded him and cast them out. So these are all the Old Testament prophets that they wouldn't listen to. Then the owner of the vineyard, this is a heavenly father, said, what shall I do? I'm gonna send my own beloved son. Probably they'll respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, and that's who we're reading about right now in chapter three of Acts, but when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves saying, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard, killed him, and then the Lord says, therefore, now he's looking straight at him, therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, these are the religious leaders, they said, certainly not, And he looked at them and said, well, what is this that is written? And what does he quote? Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected. The stone is Jesus. The builders are the religious leaders. He has become the chief cornerstone. And then he tells them, you guys have one of two options in verse 18. There's only two types of people in the world today. I don't care what nationality you are where you come from, how old you are, doesn't matter. You fall in one or two categories. And we find it in verse 18. Whosoever falls on the stone, who is the stone? Jesus Christ. Will be broken. Yeah, that's what happens. When, when you're convicted in the heart, or you come to a point where you're having so many problems, you're so far down, you finally look up. You become broken and you fall upon a stone. That's one group of people. Whoever falls upon a stone will be broken. 
but on whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And of course, we think of Daniel, the stone not cut with hands that came and hit the image, and the image was shattered, all the world kingdoms. So here it is again. He's quoting Psalm 118. Go back to Acts chapter 4. And we find in verse 11, the stone which the builder has rejected by you builders, remember he's talked to the religious leaders, has become the chief cornerstone. Here it is. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. You're lost, even if you don't know it. And here is, Jesus says the way to hell is broad, and many will be that find it. Wide is the gate. But narrow is the gate that leads to heaven, and few be that will find it. Of the majority of the population of the planet, um, I would say we're few that have accepted the only way. I was listening to a, a, a tape, an interview, and um, um, they were actually talking about um, the vaccine. I'll be talking a little bit more about it on Sunday. Oh, what the heck, I'll bring part of it up now. <laughs> How many of you were listening to all of Sunday's Bible study? I'm going to say this again on Sunday. Listen to all of it? Everybody listen to the whole thing? Okay. If you listen to the whole thing, I want to know why uh, we got so inundated with my statement that I said the vaccine is the mark of the beast. And the reason I ask you, if you listen to the whole Bible study, before I said that, I was talking about the vaccine. And I said, I, I don't want to get anybody upset here, but if you've been vaccinated with the vaccine, um, don't think you've taken the mark of the beast. How many of you heard that? I'm not seeing everybody's hand go up right now. <laughs> I said that, and then after I made the statement about the vaccine being the mark, after that, I made mention that the mark of the beast can only be given after the Antichrist in the middle of the tribulation goes into the temple of God and shows himself that he is God. So when I said the vaccine that exists today, and I'll, I'll have paperwork on Sunday that shows it's not a vaccine at all. It is not a vaccine. It's a gene-altering, um, uh, I'm gonna give you the paperwork on it. So, but... I would say half the people here only heard that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. In context, there are elements that I absolutely believe. The technology exists today that if this is forced upon you, you won't be able to buy or sell. And they're pushing this through. It has no real um, certification. It has been cleared as being safe or any of those things. And so there, there's something more involved with it, and a lot of it has to do 
with tracking you, where you go, what you do, what you spend. And that's exactly the technology that's going to be part of the mark of the beast. So when I said the vaccine is the mark of the beast, you could hear go through the whole whole church and I thought, that's the only thing they're gonna hear. (laughs) So I'm gonna say the same thing again on Sunday. Uh, Is it? No, because it's uh, um, probably could have been prefaced with this is a prototype of what's going to be and eventually added on to to have his name and so on and so forth. But you guys got to be able to figure that out with the other things that I said about if you got it, don't worry about it, it's not the mark of the beast. I said that. And I also said it's not really the mark of the beast until you're in halfway through the uh, tribulation period. I wonder if I'll get any emails or phone calls on that one. We'll see. We'll have to wait and see. I wasn't going to bring it up tonight. (laughs) Where do we leave off? Chapter uh, verse 11. So no other way. Oh, verse 12, yeah. There is salvation. There's no other way. Jesus is the only way that a person can get to heaven. You are going to die or you're going to get raptured. One or the other, guaranteed. All right, verse 13 through 22 Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. I want to camp on this. The Bible says that God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Who are these guys? They're a couple of fishermen from Galilee. They never went to school. They're uneducated. And uh, they were average people. And they realized after they were, you know, grilled by the religious hierarchy that they were uneducated and untrained men. What was their trade? Fishermen. The Lord said, you guys follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Day and night, three years they walked and talked with Jesus. And what did the Lord say when he left? Everything that um, I've taught you, I want you to tell others. That's what they're doing right here. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. I mean, what could they say? But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what are we going to do? Everybody knows um, that it was a miracle, saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, this is a notable miracle that has been done through them. It's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on, They speak no more in this man's name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at or teach in the name of Jesus. All right. Um, I'm not going to deal too much with verse 19 because um, Sunday's message is going to be entitled to obey 
or not to obey. And the key text is gonna be the verses that we're about to read right now. They're commanded. You can't do this anymore. No more speaking in the name of Jesus. So this is what Peter says in verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you decide. Should we listen to God or should we listen to you? Well, let me tell you what's going on today, just to tease you a little bit for Sunday. Uh, There are places that we'll get to on Sunday that say that we're to obey the authorities that are over, over us, especially in government. And they're taking that one verse and there are some churches that are closed right now or have such heavy mandates put upon them, um, masking, social distancing, all that. And they say, we're gonna do that because the Bible says to obey the authorities that are over us. And the flip side of that is this right here. And that's why I've entitled this to obey or not to obey. That's what Peter's saying here. Who should we obey, you? Or should we obey what God has commanded us to do? I'm gonna leave that there for now. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Now we know his age. Now, in verses 23 to 31, um, I'm gonna stop and look at this prophecy here. And being let go, they went to their own companies and reported all things the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David had said, no, here we are, prophecy again, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth uh, took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Well, this is a double prophecy. Turn back with me to Psalm 2. We've been talking about um, double prophecies. This is a double prophecy. It is being fulfilled in Acts 4, but when you read the whole psalm, you you see that it has much greater implications in Acts 4. Verse 1 of Psalm 2. Why did the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. Well, that's the, um, the kings of the earth. We just got a bunch of guys, religious leaders in Jerusalem, in Israel, not the kings of the earth. So we have more going on here with this, with this prophecy. And they're saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. In other words, let's go and fight. This is a reference to the battle of Armageddon. And they're saying, we're not gonna let him rule over us. 
So now the Lord responds in verse four. He who sits in heaven shall laugh and the Lord will hold them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. He's not doing that in Acts 4. And distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. He's talking about bringing in the millennial kingdom and the Lord ruling over it. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like potter's vessels. Now therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. And when his wrath is kindled but a little, and blessed are those who put their trust in him. Let's go back and finish up our chapter. So, in Acts 4, we have a double prophecy. And it is Peter that is quoting Psalm 2, relating it to this event. Verse 27, for truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness that we may speak your word. That's a prayer for all of us. Lord, don't let me be afraid to speak boldly about you because the ramifications for if we don't could actually be um, somebody being saved or not saved. By stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, this was quite a prayer meeting, the places that they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. The chapter changes, uh, ends with a completely different train of thought. We have um, um, being charged that they can't do this anymore. They do it anyway. And the chapter ends from verse 32 Now the multitudes of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things, his possessions, were his own, but they had all things in common. Do you realize that we are only stewards of the things that we possess? Or do you really think they belong to you? When you go back to the beginning and see what the early church was like, well, here it is. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace was upon them. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the the proceeds of the things that they sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as everyone had need, And Jos, whose also name was Barabbas, 
a Barnabas, I should say, by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. He was a Levite of the country of Cyprus. Having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I, um, when I was first saved, I read this and I said, they gave it all away? Everything? There's no, I looked out at Christianity and I didn't see anything like that going on. Uh, but then I did. Because being a part of the Jesus movement, from 1968, and I've said this before, to 1978, we actually lived these verses. Uh, And when I read this, I gave everything away. Everything. Except my Martin D35 12-string guitar. (laughs) I said, I can use it to glorify the Lord with. (laughs) Any excuse I could think of. But I I couldn't give up my guitar. And I did use it for worship and, and things like that. But I can't say that I gave it all away. But we had communal houses in every state. And between 68 and 78, I know I've told you this before, we had 100,000 people come to know Jesus during that period of time. People don't live like that. We did in the 60s and into the 70s, but um, it just isn't the way the church is today. What is the church like today? People come to church so that they can um, get emotionally motivated. Let me put it that way. Or they can tell you how you can have a better life and have more things now. And that it's God's desire, if Jesus was around today, will he be driving a Cadillac? They actually say things like that. And it's absurd. When you go back and look at the original, how far have we drifted? The last church of the seven churches is the church of Laodicea, which means it's a social church. It's bent towards self, not bent towards, I don't have anything, I'm a steward. It all belongs to the Lord, and if the Lord, I hope he doesn't ask me to sell my Martin 12-string D35. You know that the older a guitar gets, it's like a fine violin, it just gets mellower and sweeter. And I'm really getting off track now, and I better wind it up. <laughs> I'll close with this thought. This Sunday, we're taking a collection for the gypsies, Tom community, a moon, in Israel, because they're in dire straits. And what they did, and what we're going to do, and a closing thought to tie this sort of all together, is to, to pray about it. Um, Lord, we're doing fine. But we got uh, gypsy kids back on the street trying to sell something so they can buy food. And uh, the center that we've labored so many years with with the moon um, really needs our help right now. So a word of encouragement uh, as we close this study that when we come on Sunday, um, we can have this sort of attitude that the early church had. Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. And um, we have drifted so far away, the church in these last days, that um, um, 
I just pray your Holy Spirit would just take this Bible study and uh, what applies to us, let it, let it be applicable. We thank you for it. We pray you go before the rest of our evening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.